Our lesson this morning does come from Luke chapter 15. You may be asking, well, why did we have that reading that came from Luke 17? Well, maybe we can connect that up a little bit later, but I did entitle the lesson Myths of Reconciliation because there are some. To be reconciled, of course, means to be brought back to God, but there are certain myths that are apparent when one reads through Luke, the 15th chapter, a lesson that oftentimes we have simply referred to as the prodigal son. Let me tell you that this is a great story for emphasizing the love of God. And I think it's even uh, in Ghana, it probably is an opportunity for those folks to embrace it in a way that maybe we can't quite. I mean by that, this fact. That when you're standing in a, a village out in the bush somewhere, the, what normally happens is there's one path through the village, one main road. It's not really a road, you know. Sometimes it's wide enough for a vehicle, sometimes it's not. But it's very easy to paint the picture of this young son who had come and demanded of his father his inheritance, had gone off into a foreign country, and in that far country, he had taken all of that that his father had given him, had wasted his inheritance in a, right, uh, in a riotous life, which means in a wasteful life, a sinful life. And then the time comes of the famine in that far country. The boy's money is spent. He begins to think of home. He has no one that gives anything to him. He's hungry. He joins himself to a citizen of that country. He is given the job of feeding the pigs, which for a Jewish lad, you can understand, would just be atrocious. But nonetheless, all of these things bring him to his senses. He begins to think of his father. He says, in my father's house, my, his servants have bread enough and to spare. And lo, I'm starving to death. Here is what I will do. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no more worthy to be called your son, but make me as your hired servant. The young man did this very thing. He got up, returned to his father's home. But you know the story. And one of the things that I think makes this uh, so applicable over in Africa is it's so easy to position oneself out there on the main path to the village and to stand there with your hand like this looking down the path as the father was looking for his son while his son was yet a great way off father saw him he ran to him he called to his servants and he said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring on his fingers. Put the shoes on his feet. Let's kill the fatted calf for this is my son who was dead is now alive. Was lost is now saved. And that is the message of reconciliation. It is the message of God healing the division which came between God and man because of sin. And that through Jesus Christ, we are brought back together in fellowship to God. That's the message of reconciliation. 
But there are at least three myths that accompany this story of reconciliation about which we need to be aware, need to understand. God is emphasizing here his love for mankind who's lost in sin. Certainly you recall Romans 5, particularly verse 8. Paul is in that discussion about the very fact that there for it's just unusual that any man would die for another man. Not even for a good man would one dare or rarely die. But that was the case with God. You see Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet his enemies, that is while we were yet in our sin, some translations say while we were yet helpless, Jesus Christ died for us. The emphasis this morning is on the love of God, but it is also in understanding some myths which need to be exploded or proven false. The first one is this. There is a popularly held belief that you can't go home again. Well, this young man typifies everything that's wrong in somebody's life. He is a man who thought he could not go home again. The fact is that as he began to even think about home, he didn't really think of it as home. He thought of it as a place to be a hired servant. He thought of it as a place to find something to eat. He didn't think of it as home. You can't go home again. We've all heard it. And sometimes we've heard it when we were little children and we've heard people tell that thing, you know, well, you know, once you've gone, once you've really offended the family, once you've done this, you can't go home again. And sometimes we believe that. God's story of love tells us that that's not true. It's not the case. I, wanna, I want to take a few moments and tell you the story of someone else. I'm not going to tell you his name. I just want you to know it's a true story. It's somebody that I met in another state. Rita and I were living somewhere else many years ago. And we met this individual. His wife came and visited during church services one Sunday, and through her, uh, we met him. It turned out that he had grown up in the churches of Christ. But he was something of a rebel, and he had been at home. And he had done some things and probably said some things that necessitated his leaving home, so he thought, and he did. He left home and he, he joined the military, he was stationed in a foreign country. Uh, maybe you got the parallel. This young man's off in a far country. And while he was away from his, his family, he met this girl and married her. Family, of course, unaware of all this. Eventually, his tour of duty came to an end and he returned to the United States. But he did not return home. He came to a different state, he came to the one where we were living. He'd left his family, his mother and father, his brothers, sisters, left them. He'd left all the Christian values with which they had raised him as a young person. He'd left the Lord, he'd left the church. All of these things were things that he had made some hard and fast decisions about. Nonetheless, there was a reason why he came and visited at a church service. He was struggling. 
He made a lot of bad decisions in his life, and he had seen where some of those decisions were leading him, just like the man in our story here, this younger son, made some bad decisions. Times were not kind to him. And like the young man in this story, the story about which I tell you, that young man, he began coming to his senses, but it was a struggle. Reconciliation did take place. He was restored upon the advent of, of his desire to be restored. His wife obeyed the gospel shortly thereafter. His new family, he had a small child, about two or three years of age. It was very precious to him. Still, his parents, they, they don't know any of this. He's afraid. He bought into just what you see up there on the screen. You can't go home. But here's what we discovered. When we placed a telephone call to his father and mother, they lived in Maine. We're talking a couple of days journey, and that's all it took them to get to where we were. There was a reunion. There were hugs tears. There was no recrimination. It was the story, just as you read it right here, about the love of a father and a mother for their son. We rejoiced. That's what happens in this text too, isn't it? The father who had seen his son from this great distance away and runs to him and, and calls for that that robe to be put on him, the ring to be put on him, the shoes to be put on him. And let's kill the fatted calf. It's a celebration. It's a party. There is rejoicing that takes place. And that's the way it should be because that's what brings, that's what the celebration of us coming back to God. Now, I'm not going to tell you that everything thenceforth was perfect in this young man's life. The true story of which I speak as well as the story found in Luke 15. But I do want to ask a couple questions. What kept this man from wanting to go home? I think there were two or three things he expressed to us about why he couldn't go home. Number one was guilt. These things that he had said and things he had done that had separated him from his family, it just brought guilt to him. And, and even though now he understands that as far as God is concerned, the guilt is gone, the restoration had taken place, God had forgiven him. He knew that. He understood that. Nonetheless, it's one thing to talk that way when you're talking about God, our Heavenly Father. It's something else when you begin to talk about people and what people think and what people say and what people do. And so he was intimidated by his own sense of guilt. He also, he also had a I think a little pride. You know, after all, it's hard to admit when you're wrong sometimes. And initiating that step or coming back to his father and mother, initiating that whole thing again, left him in trepidation and fear. What will I do? What will they say? What will they do? 
all those kinds of questions that you might be asking yourself if you were in that situation. If you had offended someone and found it that it was the Lord's will that you should go to them and you should make whatever that offense was right with them. That if you've offended your brother, you should go to him. And yet you're fearful. What will they say? What will they do? Will they even receive me? Those kinds of things well up in your emotions. And they did in his. But there was something else. And that is that this young man of whom I tell you has a constant temptation. It just so happened that he had secured a job in a grocery store a large grocery store, a chain grocery store. They put him in charge of the liquor department. And every salesman that brought in an order to stock the shelves in the liquor department would drop by and drop off a half a case or a case of liquor to our young man here that I'm telling you about. And he drank, and he drank, and he drank. When he made his faith known, when he made his restoration plea heard, when he came back to God, he had a dilemma. What's he going to do about all this? Well, you try to encourage somebody if you meet them in those circumstances like that. You try to encourage them to know certain things. That number one, it's always right to do God's will. You want to encourage them to know that there is no temptation that has taken you except such as is common to man. But God will, with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And you look at that young man and you say, you may never be free of this temptation. But you can escape it. And you can bear it. You can endure it. But you don't have to put yourself daily in the face of that temptation. What do you think he did? What do you think he did? He, went, he sat down and he talked with his boss and he said basically something like this. I don't need to be in charge of this department in the store. It's not good for me, my family, and I just can't do it. No problem. Why didn't you say something sooner? Listen, we had a party that night. Let me tell you how the party went. Myself and him, my wife and his wife, we are laughing, we are giggling, as we are pouring down between 15 and 20 bottles of alcohol right down the drain. Got rid of them. You see, we have to have faith in God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But we must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 6. And so you encourage a person like that to accept that God will be there with them. And to know that there is no temptation that can take them except such as is common to us. But that God will provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. You understand and encourage that person that they need to make the right moves in their life. And if that means taking myself out of a place where I'm in constant temptation and weakness, I need to do that. And so he began to grow 
spiritually and strength. It wasn't long he was leading songs for us in our congregation there. Growing, his wife maturing and growing right along with him in Christ Jesus. His parents having made that long trip, beaming with joy. All because God has made it possible. Myth number one, you can't go home again, is a lie. It's one of Satan's lies. The only thing that keeps people from going back home again are the very things that he was having to struggle with. Guilt and pride and temptation. But if you're willing to surrender pride and you're willing to do as God would have you to do with regards to temptation, not that you're going to be perfect, but that you need to be with the right people, guess what? The guilt will leave. It's hard. It's hard to have the party about one who's dead coming back to life and at the same time be mournful about guilt. This man had discovered he could go home just as the prodigal son discovered he could go home. Now, in our story here, in the prodigal son, Luke 15, he doesn't understand yet that what he's going home to is sonship. It's not what he thinks. What he thinks is he can't be a son. But he can go and he can be there. He can talk with his father. And he can ask and request to be made like a hired servant. Myth number two. Myth number two. Everyone celebrates with you. That's a myth. It's false. You read Luke 15, you find out it's false. The young man had arisen, had gone back toward his father's home. His father has encountered him. You've heard that story. And yet, when they slay the fatted calf and they begin to make merry, the elder brother is out in the field. He's still at work. He hears this, this noise, this music, this merriment that's going on. He calls to himself a servant. He says, what's happening there? And the servant says, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf. And they are making merry. And the elder brother won't go in. So the father comes out and talks to the elder brother. And when he does, the elder brother has some harsh words for him. He was angry with him. You never gave me a fatted calf that I might make merry with my friends. And when this, your son, has come home, this son of yours who wasted all your money with the prostitutes has come home, what do you do? You kill the fatted calf and you have this party for him. Never did that for me, and I've, I've kept all your commandments. I just wonder if he really kept all the Father's commandments. I just wonder if he really was perfect. Because we're not perfect people. Not everybody's going to celebrate with you when you come home. You just need to know that. But you also need to know where home is. And home is, first of all, with God. And it's with those with whom you can reconcile. But I do want you to know and understand that there, because people are imperfect, there are going to be some people who will do the very thing that Jesus said over in Luke 17, 1 through 4, that we should not do. And that is to offend these little ones. Jesus said, if a man would offend one of these little ones, it's better for him that a millstone be hung around his neck and he dropped into the sea. There's always going to be somebody somewhere 
who's going to do what the elder brother did here. Don't you think the younger son knew the elder brother wasn't in the house along with the party? That he knew that the elder brother probably is out there talking about my past? Don't you think that the younger son had a clue about all this? The father went out there and talked with the elder brother? Here's the reason why we're happy. My son who was dead is alive. He, he who was lost is now saved. But the elder brother doesn't join the party. But I noticed this. The younger son did not leave the party. He could endure it. He could stand up under it. Because his was a matter of faith and conviction toward Christ, toward God, toward the Heavenly Father. And so he stayed. See, none of us are perfect. All of us are given to some kind of a, a problem or some kind of a weakness or temptation or sometimes we just say the wrong things at the wrong time. We don't say the right things at the right time. Instead of encouragement, somebody's words are going to bring discouragement. But here's how to help those who have come to reconciliation with God. You give them hugs. You give them words of encouragement. And you don't slug them with hurtful words. You don't say things like sinner, and vile, and unworthy. And what are you doing here? That's what the young son expected. It's not what he received. You extend friendship and warmth and not pharisaical coldness. What you do is you talk of the joy and the fellowship in the future, not the past. Don't dwell on something that's dead. We all have a past that's been buried in Christ Jesus if we're Christians. That the body of sin might be done away. That's what Romans 6 verse 3 says. 3 and 4. You go out of your way. You go out of your way, which means out of my clique, out of my immediate family. You go out of your way to greet that new Christian. You go out of your way to make yourself available to a brother or sister now in Christ who may be struggling yet with temptation. You go out of your way. Don't make them go out of their way. They've had a hard enough time. Go out of your way. The younger brother, can he endure all this? The answer is yes. Because myth number three, the party's over, go back. That's a myth. See, here's what happens a lot of times with folks. Maybe, Maybe somebody's come and they've made their confession about Christ. They've been baptized into Jesus for the remission of sins. They rise to walk a new life. And we say, great and good and give them the right hand of fellowship and then somehow they're gone. Or maybe somebody that's, that's a Christian but they've had trouble and struggles and they, they've given in somewhere. But you know, they found the love of God is still there. And maybe they stopped one day and they read Luke chapter 15. And they understood they could come back to God. So they make that decision and they come before their brethren and they extend themselves here. Guess what? The party is never over. In this story, the party does not end. 
the young son stays. It's the father who goes out and entreats the elder brother to come in. There's no time for returning back to the world. Our decisions most of the time are about being with the people that God wants us to be because they are encouragers for us. And as this story is encouragement for our hearts that are turning to God everywhere, the question becomes, well, what is the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's what God has asked each of us to do. As Jesus Christ